resigning from his party. Farage stood down in triumph, his job done, and for a few days it looked as if the country was running without a government or opposition. Andrea Leadsom, the energy minister who became the main Brexit candidate as Johnson and Gove fell away, was chosen by MPs to go into a runoff with Theresa May. But then she stunned an already shell-shocked Westminster by suddenly withdrawing, only an hour after May formally launched her campaign, leaving the Home Secretary, the victor, without the need to go for an election by party members. After starting her own campaign, Leadsom had suffered a torrid weekend, fiercely criticised by the Conservative press and MPs, after claims that she had exaggerated her CV, questions over her tax return, and an interview with the Times, in which she appeared to suggest that as a mother she had an advantage over the childless May. The rest of Europe, and much of the world, looked on in horror and amazement. The Dutch Prime Minister, Mark Rutte, not known for hyperbole, suggested, England has collapsed politically, monetarily, constitutionally, and economically. The bloodletting was by no means over, and the twists and turns in this fast-moving epic continued. First May called in Osborne, and told him she needed a new Chancellor after using her leadership campaign to distance herself from his economic stance. As the principal architect of Project Fear, the name given to the torrent of gruesome economic warnings that emanated from the Treasury during the campaign, and which was felt to have backfired, he harboured little hope of surviving. Then she revived Johnson's tottering career by making him Foreign Secretary. She had texted him, expressing sympathy on the morning when he had been suddenly deserted by Gove. Boris claimed to be humbled, and his elevation surprised him, and most of the political world, which had started to write him off. The next morning May called in Gove, with whom she had sharply clashed in government, and sacked him as well, in what friends called an impeccably polite exchange. So Boris was in the cabinet for the first time, and Gove, who had struck him down just days earlier, was out. Nicky Morgan, the education secretary who had made the mistake of backing Gove, was shown the door as well. The speed of events was startling, and May, having watched a fortnight of political assassinations, proved to be a brutal axe-woman when her time came. In just forty-eight hours the old guard had retired from the fray, with Cameron and Osborne spotted having coffee in a Notting Hill calf, and the new regime was in place. Until 2016... Harold Macmillan's Night of the Long Knives in 1962, when the then Prime Minister ejected seven ministers from his cabinet, was deemed the most ferocious exercise in prime ministerial power in history. No longer. May culled Cameron's team and sent nine of them to the backbenches. Cabinet executions are normally done by telephone, but May looked them in the eye as she did it. Her aides said it was a matter of courtesy, but some of the victims wished they had not been put through the ordeal. She even gave Gove a lecture in loyalty as she dispatched him. May had shown herself to be fearless, and not a leader to be messed with, but her commons majority is tiny, and one day she may regret making so many enemies in one fell swoop. The nervous breakdown that gripped Westminster overshadowed the gravity of the decision that Britain had taken and the mess that the departed leaders had left for others to clear up. Yes, Britain now had a new Prime Minister, but this was of much less significance than what else had happened. After 43 years, 
the United Kingdom, was cut adrift from the organization with which it had always lived uneasily, but which, until the referendum dawned, people had seemed prepared to accept. Now we were on the outside, and the nation was in shock, most not having expected the outcome, even if they voted for it. The pound slumped to its lowest level in a generation. Firms voiced doubts about investing here. Young people marched on Parliament, complaining that their futures had been compromised by what they called the lies of the Leave campaign, and Osborne was forced to drop his plan to take the economy into surplus by 2020. At the same time, there was a disturbing rise in racially motivated attacks, with Polish and other migrants saying they no longer felt welcome. Europe had killed another Prime Minister, but far more important than that, the vote had left Britain with a deeply uncertain future, facing at least two years of negotiations about its relationship with the body it had abandoned.